Anything funny about the gospel that we need to address over here? Um, because let, let me tell you guys something, all right? Anytime anybody gets up here and they're speaking, they're leading worship, they're doing anything like that, right? It's, it's more than what you're doing, right? You're just sitting down and you're just listening, okay? But for the person that's up here, perhaps they prepared for this, they're, they've taken the time out to do this, and the least that you can do out of respect for the person up here, and moreover, out of respect for God, is to just be attentive, right? To not have the side conversations, not have the giggling, to not pull your phone out, like, if, if this is not where you want to be right now, excuse yourself, and that's okay. But do not disrespect the people or the person that's up here who's getting ready to share with you the word of God. Amen? So can we just please make that commitment right now to just be respectful, please? Thank you guys so much. All right, so Mabel, Mira said that, um, gave us a little, little description of what the gospel is, and they are absolutely right. Um, like the reason why we're here and the reason why we do what we do is because of the gospel. And one of the first Bible verses, literally the scripture for today's teaching is probably the first Bible verse that you ever learned. And that was John three sixteen. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Like what a really big claim, right? But that is what essentially sums up the gospel. Mabel talked about how in the beginning, God sets up this place where he's trying to have communion with people. He's trying to have fellowship with people. And then, of course, we break that trust and we are then separated from God. We are separated from God. And even in that moment, there's a curse that is bestowed upon us. Because remember, before we, before we took a bite out of the fruit, right, God had already told us, if you eat this, you will surely die. And God is not the type that's going to go back on his word. It's not like after they ate the fruit, God was going to be like, oh, wait, I don't want you to die. So like, never mind. I'm just going to take that back. God is is so incredible that he wouldn't even go back on his word. So he couldn't do that. Right. At that point, we messed up. We took a bite from the fruit of the apple and now we're going to die. Right. We will surely die. And so from that moment on, the Bible makes it very clear. And this is all in the book of Genesis. The Bible makes it very clear that God sets up this like redemptive plan, this redemptive strategy, because he really doesn't want us to die. God doesn't want us to die. And he also doesn't want separation from us. It's because he's so holy and he's so good and he's so clean and so pure. He cannot have anything to do with filth. He cannot have anything to do with sin. And so that is what naturally separates us from God. But nonetheless, God is still God. He's still our father and he still loves us. And so like Mabel said, he sets out, he pulls apart this very special family, starts with Abraham. And he's like, I'm going to start all over again. And your descendant, your seed, Abraham, is going to be the one that comes into the earth and saves her, basically reverses this curse that I placed on mankind. Okay, And 
as the story is going on, as the narrative is going on here, we see examples of men and women of God that he uses. And he uses stories to help us understand who God is and how God works, how he operates, how he deals with sin, how he leads people, how he shepherds them in and out of places. Right. So those stories are all really important. But God is intentional. He takes his time. He uses every generation to make a point about his goodness, about his faithfulness and about his grace. And what's even more powerful is that after we have eternal separation from God, after we eat the fruit, man is is to some extent interested in trying to to reconcile our relationship with God. Of course, we don't try to do it God's way. We try to do it our way. So we try to like act like we're good and we're holy. At one point, we're building a tower in Babylon trying to reach up as high as the skies. And I guess even more kind of recently, so not in biblical times, when the Russians got to the moon sometime in like 1961, there was a Russian contemporary, I remember, who made a comment that, you know, we've now been to the moon and we didn't see Jesus, we didn't see God, we didn't see heaven. Basically trying to discredit all of this, trying to discredit while we're here. And so at, at some point, C.S. Lewis is a really, really uh, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite writers. Um, he was a great teacher and philosopher and an educator. And he responded to that Russian um, contributor and he said look you trying to find God right human beings trying to find God in outer space is like William Shakespeare the author right who wrote the play Hamilton it's it's as if Hamilton was looking for William Shakespeare in his attic right mind you Hamilton is a fictional story okay for the most part and so at that point what I'm sorry Hamlin Thank you, Mabel. So uh, it's, it's a fictional story for the most part. And here Shakespeare is writing a story about all these characters. And he's saying that if they were trying to find who Shakespeare was, they wouldn't be able to just go upstairs in their attic and figure it out. Like that just doesn't make sense, right? And C.S. Lewis said the only way for that to happen is if there's some sort of relationship in that story that Shakespeare wrote, there's got to be some sort of relationship that Shakespeare, as the author, uses to engage the characters of his own story, right? So he says that Shakespeare would essentially have to write himself into that story in order for that to happen, right? And the gospel is essentially that. The gospel is God himself, not in outer space, not in all these weird places that we try to look for him. It's God himself writing his his existence into the narrative or the story of mankind. It's God coming down from his high place, creating himself so that he's in human form, so that he could live a holy and perfect life, and then take on, like, bear the sins of all the world. That is what the gospel is. And that is what our God did for us. It is so incredibly powerful because it's not like Hamlin. It's not some sort of uh, fictional story, okay? This is real, right? In other words, Jesus Christ, the way that the Bible describes him, is the son of God. He He is the God that we worship. But he also was a true historical figure. And nobody disputes that. 
The Muslims don't dispute it. Some of the most learned and esteemed scholars, just nobody disputes that. They know for a fact that there was a man named Jesus Christ who walked the face of this earth. And they'll even go as far as to saying that the good news gospels that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John also happened. So in other words, there was a man named Jesus Christ who actually walked the earth and who actually went around drawing crowds of people, healing them, preaching this word, preaching this gospel, and garnishing a lot of support from the crowds that were around him. Okay, And history will tell you that because of that, a lot of the political leaders and even the religious leaders at the time did not like it. Because it wasn't like Jesus was just like, you know, putting on a show, healing people left and right. No, Jesus Christ came and said, I am the son of God, period. There is no way of getting to the father except through me. Right. Because at this point, we had already messed it up. And our attempts to try to reconcile our relationship with God did not work. So Jesus Christ said, look, I'm the one that's going to do it. Okay. And that didn't sit well with all of these religious and political leaders. You, you can't just do that, right? Because that would kind of, the equivalent in today's world would be somebody like Jim Jones. Does anybody know who Jim Jones is? He was a religious leader who basically got together a whole group of people and um, it started out as some sort of, um, I, I think it was like a branch out of Christianity that he was starting, but eventually he went on blaspheming and saying all kinds of horrors, saying that he was God and that his people needed to worship him. Um, and so long story short, he basically ended up flying him and his congregation out to this island and telling everybody that they needed to drink the Kool-Aid or drink the poison, which ended up killing themselves and killing their babies. And people, people willfully did that. Um, and some people, I mean, I guess you could say that they, they were coerced in doing that because if you drink, drink the Kool-Aid, you were going to get killed. But that's what, that's what the equivalent would have kind of looked like, at least to the political leaders at the time. You have somebody who's come up out of nowhere who says, I'm God, and he's actually getting a lot of support. And people are a little concerned about this because it's like, uh, no, you can't just say that. Nobody had ever said that up until that point. And so Jesus was extremely controversial during his time. But nonetheless, he's Jesus. He's the son of God. He had a job to do, and he did execute that job. And the Bible says that he was nailed to the cross, okay? Like, the gospel is not just the story of Jesus. It's the actual execution of the plan and the purpose for his life. Coming to die, to die for our sins. And the significance about that, the significance about the gospel that I need you guys to understand is that at the end of this life, at the end of your life, mind you, God has numbered everyone's days. Some people have 20 years. Some people have 50 years. Some people have 70 years. Some people have 80 years. Everybody's days are numbered. We are sure about a lot of things in this life. We have been able to put a man to the moon. We have been able to create some incredible vaccines. Go look outside at all the infrastructure that we've created. Cars, phones, like we've been able to do a lot of things as human beings. But the one thing that we've not been able to do is figure out death. We've not been able to escape death. And so the reality for all of us is that one day we will die. Okay, and, and, and the good news is, this is where the good news comes to play, this is where the gospel comes to play, is that when we do die, 
right? We are not going to be in eternal separation from God, right? Because that is what hell is, eternal separation from God. When we die, we have a savior who is sitting at the right-hand side of God, who is advocating and pleading on our behalf, right? And there are a lot of people who don't understand this concept. Like, why is there heaven and hell? Like, why would God create the world if he knew that some people were going to go to hell and some people were going to go to heaven? Like, why, 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 why? Look, the reality is none of us are good, okay? If we're trying to figure out a standard for heaven, only Jesus Christ meets that standard. Like, nobody in our capacity as human beings can ever reach the point where on our own we can get to heaven. Right. And that's what happened when we ate the fruit. Right. In the Garden of Eden. That's what happened when Eve and Adam ate the fruit. We just messed it up for us eternally. We will surely die. And so God knew there was no way. Absolutely no. I want you guys to understand this. Like there's no way that we can get to heaven at this point. We're basically screwed. And God is He's very frustrated, rightfully so, because we are people that he's created to love him and to honor him and to serve him, yet we're so prideful and we want nothing to do with God sometimes. We feel like, oh, because we can create these phones, because we can create these laptops and all these infrastructures, that, that for whatever reason, we don't need God. And so God doesn't like that. And yet still, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, while we are still in this space, in our, in our hearts and we're, our, we're just postured against God and we want nothing to do with him because we think that we have all these abilities for ourselves. While we were still sinners, God set up a plan so that he could create an escape route for those who would accept the gospel, those who would receive the good news, right? We could not do it on our own. We wouldn't be able ordinarily to get into heaven on our own, right? And so it took not only Jesus coming and dying, but it took Jesus Christ coming and dying the most heinous kind of death, the most excruciatingly painful, most miserable kind of death, right? If we're talking about Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins, some people just brush it off because it's like, okay, yeah, he died and that was it. No, he suffered before he died. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was prosecuted and persecuted, okay, before he died. Jesus Christ went through hell, guys. He went through hell so that we wouldn't have to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like he took the burden, he took the weight of the entire sin of the entire mankind. Like Jesus Christ, one person, took that all upon himself, literally experiencing hell so that we wouldn't have to. That is the gospel. That is why we do what we do. That is why we're here. That is why when we sing and we worship, like this is why there's so much passion in what we do. Because there's no other God. There's a lot of gods, lowercase g. There's a lot of them. A lot of other religions, a lot of other religious groups, right, that have all these claims about how great their God is, how great all these things are. But excuse me, none of them took on the hell. None of them took on the pain and the kind of death that Jesus Christ took on for his believers. None of those gods did that, okay? And, and we have a faith where our God is telling us to come as we are, 
so that he can come and he can do the work to transform us, right? And it requires us to come to him in obedience. We can't just like, you know, all right, God, like here I am, like I say the the sinner's prayer and now I'm a Christian. It requires a lot from us because of what Jesus Christ did. But ultimately, when he took that, when he bore the sins of mankind upon him, it reconciled for the first time, it reconciled our relationship with God, right? Now that curse that if you eat this fruit, you will surely die has been reversed because it's not like God said, never mind, that that's still fulfilled. Somebody died. It just wasn't us. And that is what you have to recognize about the God that we serve. He is the one who suffered the death that we deserve because of our sin. And it's not because of Adam and Eve's sin. It's because of our current sin, right? And you know who you are. You know what you do. You know where your issues are, where your flaws are, where your sins are. Only, only you know that, right? But that's the kind of thing is your sin that would have landed you in eternal separation from God, okay? And when we're talking about somebody who lived and walked and experienced this earth and it's all documented in historical texts and it's not challenged by some even secular scholars, then, then, then we gotta take a closer look at this. Wait a minute, what's this about this person that actually existed, died on the cross, was put in a tomb, they put a really big solid rock over the tomb, they had guards out the wazoo just guarding the tomb to ensure that none of the disciples or nobody came inside to take the body that was in the tomb, and all of a sudden they roll the tomb over and that body is gone, right? Mm The actual execution of it was when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus had to die. Somebody had to die. We all had to die, quite frankly speaking. But Jesus Christ took that death. Thank you for that question, Belinda. Jesus Christ took that death. And this person that some people respect, some people are like, oh yeah, Jesus Christ. A lot of, um, a lot of um, Muslims or um, religious people, not necessarily Christians, they'll say, yeah, like, we agree Jesus Christ existed, he lived, he walked the earth, like, you know, we respect him as maybe a prophet, we respect him as, you know, somebody who, who performed great miracles, like, we, we, we respect him, but we, we, he's not the son of God, he's not God himself. And, you know, C.S. Lewis made a comment um, that, that was along the lines of, like, somebody who came and did the things that Jesus did, and somebody who came and said the things that Jesus said and professed the things that Jesus said cannot be somebody that you associate with just, you know, somebody that you respect or somebody that, you know, like I respect as a prophet, right? You either love and worship and serve and honor Jesus because of everything that he said because you believe it, or you completely discredit everything that he says and you completely take him off to be some sort of lunatic. Because what person, if he wasn't in fact the son of God, what person would go around saying that and performing all these miracles and, and doing like, who would even do that? 
That's a crazy person, right? He's, he's either one or the other. You can't be like these people that are lukewarm and like, oh yeah, he was, you know, he was all right. No, he wasn't. He was either everything or he was nothing. The gospel says that he is everything. He is our God. He is the one that we serve. He is the one that we love and that we uplift because he has given us life. We already had like life in the physical, but when it comes to the spiritual, there's a lot of people living different kinds of lives. A lot of people living a lot of like different kinds of spiritual lives. And for some people, it's a life where they are turned away from God and they rely on the things of the world. They rely on their flesh. They rely on themselves for sustainability. And you see where that lands them. Like, I don't even have to give you any examples. Like there are people that are really rich and really wealthy and they seem to have everything, but still they're so miserable. They're, they're, they're seeking and searching fulfillment in all the wrong places and they're fighting God as much as possible because for a lot of people, it's not that they don't believe that God is real or that this, the word is, is true. It's, it's more so the idea that they just don't want there to be a God. They don't, they don't want God to exist. They don't want Jesus Christ to, to even be in existence. Because if that's true, and sometimes deep down inside they have an inclination that it is, if it's true, then it means they have to totally, entirely surrender to that God. Because there's no halving it. You have to be completely surrendered to God. And when you do that, when you commit yourself to God and you pray that prayer, Lord, I want you to come be my Lord and personal Savior. I believe in this gospel. I know it to be true. I believe it in my heart to be true. And you ask God, you plead with God, you ask him, God, come in my life and change me. All of a sudden, I, and this is, I probably have to say this for another day because I still don't understand how the Holy Spirit can be so effective. I'm telling you, you give your life to God and you honor him. Some of the things that you've struggled with for years or some of the issues that you've had, you realize that now God is helping you to be able to overcome them. Certain sins that you were battling that had a hold over your life, all of a sudden, it's not like you don't, it's not even like you, you, you don't recognize them or it's not there. It's like you just, you, you have this new sort of mindset. You have this new understanding about what that is. And moreover, you have this new relationship with a God and a savior that you know loves you, right? And, and that you know wants everything to do with you. And because of that, that God can have nothing to do with the sin that you formerly were engaged with, right? And, and that commitment, that pursuit daily and constantly is what will bring you closer and closer and closer to God, right? But even God knows and God understands that it's a process. It's not gonna be an overnight thing. And so if you give your life to God and you expect that the next day you're going to be all holy, holy, maybe you'll look like Kevin or Patricia, like, oh, like, I, like that's not gonna happen, right? It's a gradual process. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God was like, I'm, I'm gonna save the world. I'm going to save the world. But did he send Jesus Christ to die right then and there? No, it was a process, a long, lengthy process before Mary had Jesus Christ. And even then, Jesus Christ had to live and operate and teach and heal until he was age 30. It was a process. But through that process, in that experience, in that journey, there's so much to be learned. 
There's so many tools and resources and things that God wants you to have to equip you, to prepare you for where he's taking you. But it all starts and ends with the gospel. That is why we're here. That is what we do, what we do. And that is why we want more than anything else for you guys as young people to just hold on to God, hold on to Christ with everything that you have, no matter how challenging it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how many questions you may have about like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Like the gospel, right? There's, there's an end to this, right? And the gospel gives us an opportunity to have that end look like eternal relationship with God. And for the people that are like, okay, then like, then why did God do this to begin with? Like, what was the point of all this? Like, why? Like, if he knows some people are going to go to hell. Like, look, God, free will for everybody. Everybody's got free will. And you can't knock God for wanting to create a place where he has children and they thrive and they're living and he can have fellowship with them. You can't knock him for that, right? Is that not the concept of, like, Barbie dolls and, like, The Sims and all that stuff? Like, all that has been really successful because even us as human beings, like, we like having our own, like, miniature things and being like, ooh. And, like, you know, when I was a little girl, like, I remember, like, in my sink, I would fill it up with water, I'd clog the sink, I'd fill it up with water, and then I'd put my Barbie dolls and like baby bathing suits, and I'd be like, ooh, we're going swimming today, and I'd have my Ken and like my little baby doll. They even had a Barbie, it was like a limited edition that came out, that was actually pregnant, and you had like a magnetic belly that you could put on the Barbie doll, and in the belly was a baby, and I was just so excited, because I was like, I wanted to see that, and I wanted to like, ooh, like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to see that, and this is me as a human being, how much more God? Right, wanting to create all these beautiful children, all these amazing stories, our lives, right? How we're all so interconnected and how love connects us even more. We can come together, how beautiful the experience of life is. Look at the conference that we went to. How amazing was that, right? All these major milestones in our life, getting married, graduating, like all these really, really exciting things that are good, inherently good, right? And God loves to see that. But he doesn't want it to end in separation with him. So that is why he sent his son, and that is why the gospel exists. So I implore everybody today, as much as possible, like get back in your word, go back and, Luke, and read the, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like get an understanding of who Jesus Christ was for yourself, and then say that prayer. Like really, not just saying, I, be, I believe in Jesus, guys, that's not enough. It's not enough. Satan believes in Jesus. Satan probably knows the scripture better than you, honestly. Like, believing is not enough, right? When the Bible says whosoever believes in him, it's a belief that allows us to take the word of God, take the teachings of God and of this gospel and apply it to our lives so that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right, that is what it means to believe. So we have to pray that prayer and ask God to be able to do that. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. I want you to think about the word that came, and I want you to just sort of take it and and apply it to the context of your life. Uh, Maybe you're struggling in certain areas of your faith. Maybe you have certain sins that are kind of taking a hold of your life and you feel like those are the things that are separating you from God and you feel like
There's no hope. There's no way that you can change or be better. Today we talked about how the gospel is that hope. Jesus Christ is that hope. And he represents the opportunity for us to just lay everything before the feet of God. Say, Lord, I've messed up. But God, I want you to come in my heart and truly change me. It doesn't cost us anything for the gospel. The gospel is entirely free for those who receive Jesus Christ. So I just want you to pray that to yourself. Just asking God to help you to receive the gospel, receive the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can come in your heart, in your life, and change you from within. Father, we thank you so much for the word that came. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you for the hope that Jesus Christ represents for us. We thank you, Jesus, for dying that brutally painful death because you love us, because you wanted to give us an opportunity to know our Father, to be in communion with our Father, to walk with him, and to have him transform our lives. We commit ourselves before you and ask that you would begin to do that work in us. And for those who you've already begun the work, God, that you would continue the work, Lord, so that everything that we do, God, in our going and our coming, Lord, we would just honor you and praise you and that you would take glory in it, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh God, to keep these basic foundational principles in our hearts, reminding us, O oh God, when we're going through the most troubling of times, that you have hope for us, O oh God, that there is hope, Lord, and that there is a better heaven, there is a better place, O oh God, where we will be with you in eternity, and we won't have to worry about the worries of this world. Help us to remember that, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.